This is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on winter tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big Show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to talk a little Utah Jazz basketball like we do every Monday. Let's get out of the zone phone. Joining us now, longtime Jazz assistant coach and our great friend, Coach Gordy Chiesa. What's going on, Coach? I'm doing well, guys. Thank you. That is terrific. We're stoked you're with us on the show uh, tonight, Gordy. Uh, what would you think about uh, the Jazz? The streak comes to a, an end against the Clippers, but still a hard-fought game. Oh, very much. At 116-112 to 112, uh, lost by the Jazz, it was basically because of the differential of rebounding by the Clippers. The Clippers in both those games uh, against the Jazz, the Jazz won on Wednesday and lost on Friday, I mean, last week. The Jazz were out-rebounded, which is really surprising because before the game started, the Jazz were the best rebounding team in the NBA. So they got out-rebounded 45-38, to Jake, but it was really 11-6 to on the offensive boards. But most of all, it's when they got them, the Clippers. His last point about that, in that game, um, Boyan Bondanovich, Mike Conley, Joe Ingles, and Jordan Clarkson got a total of three rebounds. So the learning point about that is the Jazz, uh, they might struggle more if they don't get their mid-sized guys to rebound. So how do you get them to rebound? Okay, you may, it, up to that point, it's always been good. In other words, so they were overwhelmed by um, Paul George's, you know, uh, uh, skill set and, uh, uh, and uh, Kawhi Leonard. Even though those guys didn't shoot great, they're, they're talented people. So they're, the defense trying to slow those guys down. So sometimes you get flat-footed. When you try to guard the opposing uh, star players, your mid-sized guys uh, are so content of staying on their men, they don't chase down rebounds. And in learning point about that, you might say, well, Mike Conley's a point guard, and, and so is uh, Joe Ingles. The, the point is that there's so many uh, three-point shots taken is that the most rebounds aren't, uh, aren't climbing rebounds. They're chase down rebounds off the floor. So it's more of an emphasis and react to the ball. Coach Gordy Chiesa with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. What are your thoughts on Gordon Hayward, coaches, his career, I guess, post-Jazz? Do you think he regrets leaving this franchise? No, doesn't regret it. But with the Jazz for seven years, he was homegrown and became an all-star. Then he goes to Boston, and even though he's playing for his college coach, the dynamics change because Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart and those guys, they're good. And they're, they're almost establishing themselves. So he, but the injury set him back. Now he goes to the Hornets, and now it's, now it's a newness of it, is that he's the first option uh, offensively, and he's having really a good season. Now it helps also he signed that contract for four years, $120 million. Let's not forget, that's all part of the reason why he left the Celtics, because he wanted to get a contract extension. And his agent, Mark Bartlestein, who's very influential, was able to do that. The Hornets are happy they have him. He's playing very well. So the regrets, it's very doubtful. 
So we've been talking a little bit today about how jazz fans feel about Gordon Hayward. Uh, how do you think Gordon Hayward feels about the jazz and about jazz fans? Uh, do players, do they think about those things, Gordy, or is that overblown? It's overblown, absolutely. They think about more about their teammates. Oh, by the way, you please pass the ball to me, will you? Will you please pass the ball to me? That's all that matters. If the money's equal, and most times uh, as a driving force, but if it's in the same range, because that, with Gordon Hayward, that was his first contract, you know, the first four years, then Jazz resigned him, then to make a contract, he moved, moved on to Boston. So the learning point about that is players don't think like that. Maybe they miss their next door neighbor because he's a he or she is really a good person. But generally speaking, they they move on to the next team. Do you think he wants to stick it to the Jazz? Well, I think only because he's the competition. Like, like likewise, I mean, where the Jazz also want to stick it to him because the Jazz are coming up a loss while the uh, while the Hornets are coming up a hellacious win over the Warriors on a, on Saturday night. So his, for the listeners right now driving to the, the Jazz game tonight, his quick numbers for Gordon Hayward, he's averaging 29, excuse me, 21.9 points per game, 48.5 field goal percentage, 43.2 from three, 86.4 from the foul line, 5.5 rebounds, and 3.7 assists. So he's really having a banner year. So from the Hornets' point of view, I told you he could still play. Coach Chiesa is with us, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Coach, Michael Jordan was an unbelievable player, probably the best to ever do it. But Michael Jordan, the owner, uh, that has not been the case. If, if MJ were to call you, Coach, and said, hey, Coach Chiesa, how can I become a better owner? What would you tell him? Is that try to mix the uh, young people, the younger players, with veterans. When you have the model where you only have young guys in the team, I'll show you a young team and I'll show you a non-playoff team. So that's why they got Gordon Hayward somewhat. They need more than Gordon Hayward. So if you try to just build a foundation of only young people. Now what happens, Jake, let's add to that, is that all those guys are on the first-year contract, so the economics are dramatically lower. As the players get older and more established, the contracts now kick in, and there's a whole different uh, dynamics involved. So it's very rare that young teams stick together and develop. And that's Boston right now that's going through it. They had so many young guys on their team they drafted, but right now they're struggling, and now they, they had to pay those guys on a second contract, and they might have an element of buyer's remorse, possibly. So that's my advice to them. Your combination of younger guys, I get it, but also of, of veterans that play young. So, Gordy, I have a two-part question. It uh, relates to something that we were talking with Chris Mannix about earlier in the show. Terry Rozier the other night against the Warriors got hot, and they got him the ball, and he took them to victory. He got a little help from Draymond Green getting sure. kicked out of the game, but he had a great last-second shot to win it for uh, Charlotte. So my question to you as a coach, when a guy gets hot like that, do you mind going outside your offense to feed him the ball? And even beyond that, the second part is, Will you, if, if someone is hot, are you willing to leave him in a game longer uh, and maybe go outside your normal rotation a little bit to take advantage of it? Or is that counterproductive? No, absolutely. Go to him. When a guy has a hot hand and he's dealing with the hot sauce through his game, keep going to him. But I would say that when you do that, 
Don't give them the ball on the first side of the floor because it takes so much energy to go against four or five defensive players that are locked in. So when a guy's at a hot hand, try to swing the ball to him so he can catch in rhythm. And that's Terry Rogier. His nickname is Scary Terry because he scares a lot of defensive players. Let's hope tonight that Michael Conley and their Jordan Clarkson and Don Mitchell can, can scare him as far as defending him. So I keep him in the game. When a guy has a hard hand, keep uh, the rotation now suddenly is uh, ill avoid because now you're going to the guy that's, that's really uh, carrying you during the game. But also defensively, if I was the Warriors, I would have trapped him. So for the listeners right now, here's what happened. Draymond gets a technical foul. He starts waking out. He makes both foul shots to Hornets. The ball comes in to Terry Rozier. He has the ball on a sort of semi-isolation. He hard dribbles to the left side, and what they should have done is the, they should have double-teamed him and make him pass the ball to someone else. You never let a star player take the last shot. I know back in 1998, Jordan did against the Jazz. That's the learning point that the year before, we double-teamed Jordan, meaning the Jazz. Jordan passed the ball to Steve Kerr. He made the, he made the clincher on us. But the learning point is that you make the star player have to jump pass out of it, let someone else shoot. And uh, just a little addition to that is, that shot Rozier hit was really tough. Oh, very much. I mean, that was a that was a side twisting a twenty footer on the left shot. It was a great win for the Hornets. Now I know we're praising the Jazz play the Hornets tonight. They really are a developing team. That's why I use it. They're first in the NBA in most victories when the score is five points or under with under five minutes. So with Gordon Haywood being there and Terry Rozier, and the most important thing is LaMelo Ball, who's pass-happy rookie, is that they have these three guys on perimeter that have really contributed in different ways. Gordon by scoring, Terry Rozier by shot-creating and scoring, and LaMelo Ball by passing. So they are trending in the right direction. Coach Mike Conley missed six games, and, uh, you know, it's a shame because he was playing so well, uh, but that hamstring, better safe than sorry. But when Joe Ingles filled in for Mike, he had some of the best games of his career, Coach, as you know. He was very, very good. Mike Conley comes back into the lineup. Joe goes back to the bench, and his last game against the Clippers wasn't quite as good. So my question to you is, he coached a lot of guys who have had to, because of injuries or other reasons, step into a bigger role and then maybe come back to the role that they initially had after that uh, injury is over. What do you tell those players? What would you tell Joe Ingles to tell him to keep his head up and keep him productive? Well, the first thing in that game you're alluding to, Joe goes one for four. And before that, he was absolutely like nine for 11 in games as far as shooting the ball. And also is that he's absolutely lob central with him and Rudy in the high pick and roll. That he leads the NBA as far as Joe throwing lob passes to the screening meeting Rudy Gobert. So now they both play, and they're both good guys. They're both self-motivated, and they're both uh, uh, team-orientated. Okay, so what you want to do with, with a Joe Ingles is that – um, tell him to be aggressive is that even though Mike he's not starting now and Mike Conley is in the game when they're both in the game they're both quasi playmakers not point guards but playmakers what's the play I don't know but every play starts with your eyes and also with your instincts and when Joe has the ball he's got those uh, vivid eyes that can make plays before it happens and also he has instincts so I would say for Joe to be aggressive like he's a starter in the game, besides him and uh, Jordan Clarkson as his sidekick on the floor. And Jordan Clarkson is the perfect guy as a uh, second unit. Give me the ball. Get out of my way because I can make a jump shot in your face. 
Are there any circumstances under which you would go ahead and start, Joe? Yes. The answer is yeah. You can make that narrative that the Jazz are just as good, if not better, when Joe's there as a starter because that that because he helps Rudy get involved all the time. And Rudy not as a scorer, but as a scoring threat. See, when Rudy rolls to the basket without being so technical, it forces the help defense to have to tag on the inside shoulder, and that gives uh, Boyan Bondanovich or Donovan Mitchell that rhythm corner three against naked defense, meaning late rotation, all because Joe is a jumbo passer. See, Mike Conley at 6'1", he's cerebral. Joe cerebral plus adds an uh, element of uh, five or six inches as far as being a tall play, uh, pl- uh, playmaker. It helps Rudy, but it helps his team as far as spacing. You can, you can make that narrative. Jake. Jake, I know you, you really don't like that assertion, do you, Jake? No, I, I don't think you move Mike back to the bench or Bogdanovich or Royce or whoever else you want to talk about. I think Joe, I think the role coming in off the bench suits him really well. So I, I, don't, I, I would not do that, but, you know, what do I know? Coach is the coach. No, it's again, you can make the discussion on both ways as far as that. Oh, by the way, the Jazz is the best record in basketball, so it's working. But as the Jazz go forward – uh, how can you have both players play collectively and play in rhythm, both individually and also as a unit? So that's where the question comes. And what happens is that the, a thing called injuries. Hey, I, we love everybody because, by the way, if someone ever gets hurt, I told you we love you. So meaning what? You're going to start now. What she, what she's saying there, Gordy, I think is really important for Joe to be aggressive. Who cares whether you start or you don't? And I know he, he says he doesn't care, but it seems like there have been a lot of instances where he's played better as a starter than he has coming off the bench. But ultimately, it, it you're going to need both those guys anyway, so you got to adopt an attitude of aggression. Oh, very much. And at any time you're aggressive, as far as with your ball skills, but your mind is measured. So it's that unbelievable instinctual feel that every terrific player has. Hey, but I'm aggressive, but also I'm what? Uh, I'm reading the plays. And that's really Joe. Joe has his pace to his game. And, so, and Donovan's developing that. You know, Donovan, for years ago, he played one speed, what? Bullet fast. And that's good some of the time. Now, Donovan is evolution to last, uh, we'll say, year and a half. He slows down, which we call pause to score. He's even more effective. And that's what makes the Jazz such a good team. They have, so, they have a lot of uh, different parts, but they all work as a unit. And the Jazz are right there, uh, Gordon and Jake, as, as the best teams in basketball. You can make a make discussion. Jazz, Lakers, Jazz, Lakers, Clippers, uh, Lakers, Jazz, Clippers. You can make that discussion as far as doing that. And, and then and the, and the Eastern Conference, it will be the Brooklyn Nets, who are playing absolutely sensational. The Nets have won six in a row, and they're showcasing their talent level. Coach, I understand you have a list for us today. Jakey, this list today is a list that you and I talked about over the years. This is the Charlotte Hornets slash Bobcats all-time players, the top ten. So, so for the listeners right now, it, the Hornets started as an expansion team in 1988. And that what made them so cool was that they were the first team ever to have jerseys with were dominated with a pinstripe, and it sounds so trivial now, but back in the late 80s, these pinstripe jerseys, which was, which was a really even more dramatic, it was teal and purple, and that really was eye-popping as far as that, and the last part about it is that they led the NBA in attendance 
for seven straight years as an expansion team. From 1988 to 1995, they were first in the NBA, even more than L.A., even more than New York, even more than Chicago, as far as, far as uh, attendance. And their classic home court was a Charlotte Coliseum, and it was called the Hive. So this is the setup of the top ten guys. I, and, again, it's only the players that played for them in Charlotte, not New Orleans, because now the Pelicans rebranded themselves. Number ten, Kendall Gill, Gill. Tremendous defensive player, all-around performer. Number nine, the monster mesh, Jamal Mashburn, all-star player. Number eight, they used to call him Crash Davis, Gerald Wallace, all-star player. Number nine, Baron Davis, all-star, excuse me, number seven, Baron Davis, all-star player. Number six, Del Curry, an elite three-point shooter, 40% for his career. In 1994, Del was the sixth man of the year. And by the way, that's Stephen Curry and uh, Seth Curry's uh, dad. Number five, this guy was the shortest player ever in the NBA. He was five foot three. He's the all-time le- franchise leader in Assist and steals, Tyrone Muggsy Bowes. Number four, incredible knockdown shooter. In 1997, he was the All-Star Game MVP, Glenn Rice. Number three, he played for the Charlotte Hornets for eight years. He now plays for the Boston Celtics. He was a perennial All-Star, Kembe Walker. All right, number two, he had this fun nickname, called Grandmama, and he was an all-star player in ni- uh, for many years. In 1992, he was the Rookie of the Year, Larry Johnson, and number one by far. He's in the Basketball Hall of Fame, rebounder, shot blocker, scorer, incredible physical toughness, Alonzo Mourning. Thus, that's my 10 all-time greatest Charlotte Hornets slash Bobcat players. No now, love 40, for their, their first draft pick ever, Rex Chapman, or their second draft pick ever, J.R. Reed? No, I don't have him in there as far as all time. <laughs> now, uh, uh, but that's, Jake, that, Jake, I love it. That's the beauty of these lists. We can, everybody can debate this. But, again, this is based on uh, scoring, I get it, plus winning and plus how you played, and you're part of the, you're part of the whole franchise fabric. Gordy, just for your information, did you know that uh, – in those years that you were talking about where uh, the Hornets were leading the league in uh, attendance and whatnot, that uh, our very own Jake Scott was among them. Oh, I knew that. No, that's why I did it. When I did list it, I thought about one Jake Scott when he was a youngster yep. trying, to fi- trying to find himself. He found himself <laughs> in the hive. I did. Uh, you know what? I remember the, the Charlotte Coliseum very well. Huge arena. And it was yeah. really loud. And, again, uh, we had a hard time guarding Muggsy Bogues. I know it's some of the listeners. The guy's five foot three. Let's say he was low to the ground, and we used to have to set back screens on him to free up our dribbler as far as uh, down the floor, whether it was John Stockton or at that time it was uh, Delaney Rudd and those guys. We had to free, free him up by setting a double screen to get him off our, our, our ball handler. They're a good team. The, the Hornets were really a, an elite franchise as an expansion team. Unfortunately, they hit some, uh, some rock, rock times. Now they're trying to bounce back. When, uh, when you were in the hives, Jake, did you get buzzed? No, I was quite young. So, no. no. 
no no buzzing uh no buzzing for me although hey coach the the one all-star on the Charlotte Hornets uh, uh first year on that first team they had one all-star and he averaged over 20 points per game and he was a former jazz man yeah Kelly Chapuka I'm surprised he didn't make the list he was really good for one year yeah, for one year he did yes now he was a really good shooter but again it's um this list is based on a whole bunch of things I'm and glad. most of all, it's having a winning game. You could have a lot of points, and that's commendable, but do you have a winning game? And that's what makes the Jazz t- tonight so interesting because the Jazz players have a winning game. Those guys play to win, and it's, uh, that's why the Jazz are in first place, and let's hope they, they can knock out the Charlotte Hornets. Who's the best coach the Hornets ever had? Okay. Best coach the the Hornets ever had. Did I stump you on that one? No, I'm I'm, I'm just trying. I mean, I'm trying to be fair about it. Uh, Fair about it. I would say Alan Bristow. He was good for them. Paul Silas also had some nice years. He did. No, he's good. Absolutely. And Paul Silas is a tremendous player for the Celts, and that's his son right now coaching the Houston Rockets. All right, Coach, you are the best. Thank you for the trip down memory lane. We appreciate you. Thanks, guys. Peace out. Stay well. There you go. That's our good friend, Coach Gordy Chiesa, jumping on with us as he does every Monday. Man, I hope I make you all sentimental. Oh, man, I I love the, 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 that old Charlotte Coliseum. It was great. That takes me back to my, my fandom childhood years.